Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. All right, and this is Health Unchained here at Distributed Health 2018 in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm with Stuart Lackey, co-founder and CEO of Solister, and also here with Phil Baker, who is the founder of Good Shepherd Health. And we're going to talk about the recent partnership that you two have put together. Um, so if you guys want to kind of introduce yourself briefly, and then uh, we can talk about more detail of the partnership. So. Phil, you want to get started? Okay, yeah, so uh, Phil Baker, I am um, a pharmacist, been a pharmacist since 2005 in Memphis, Tennessee. I worked for a retail chain for about seven years as a manager, then worked at a small hospital as the director of pharmacy, and uh, quite frankly got really sick of turning people away who couldn't afford their medicine. Um, 2015, we opened Memphis's first independently funded standalone charity pharmacy. And uh, we started with about 200 medications that had been donated from manufacturers that we were going to redispense to low-income uninsured people, but very quickly found out two things. One was that there were more people with insurance that couldn't afford their medicine than there were uninsured people, and we didn't have a way to help them when we first started. And the second thing was that um, right out of the gate, people started bringing us medicine that they wanted to donate. And when we started, that was illegal in the state of Tennessee. So... Yeah, Good Shepherd has been uh, built on price transparency and building businesses that are, you know, as a nonprofit, financially self-sustainable. That's really the, the biggest tenet. Everything that we do is financially self-sustainable. And so to date, we have a membership pharmacy that doesn't accept insurance. Our pharmacy um, members pay a monthly membership fee. They get all of their prescriptions at cost, and that's the cost that the pharmacy pays with no markup whatsoever. Uh, it's a huge discount off, we beat the pants off everybody else in the market in terms of price. And uh, our newest um, project is Remedy Chain, which was three years in the making. We got the laws changed so that we could accept donated medications here in the state of Tennessee, but we also got it changed so that we could, uh, specifically we could accept donations from any individual anywhere in the country. And so we can draw meds from the entire country into, in here, into, into Memphis. Um, we're going to start with like the 20 to 50 most valuable meds that are $30,000 and up for a one month supply. It's primarily oral chemotherapies um, and then redistribute to those who, to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford them. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you about like how you made that legislation change or how mm -hmm. you influenced that later. But yep. um, Stuart, yep. tell me about yourself. Fantastic. Stuart Lackey, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Solister and I've been in healthcare for about 15 years and spent the majority of that time launching commercialization of um, disruptive uh, devices, uh, predominantly neurosurgery and orthopedic spine. So um, the R&D, the marketing, the regulatory, um, um, everything that it takes to, to go through a process of launching a device, you know, I kind of had a, a chance to participate in and obviously taking that device to market. And so what that means is 
sounds really simple just to sell a, a device or a surgical device into a healthcare system. It's actually very complex and extremely difficult from the standpoint that there are a lot of decision makers, a lot of stakeholders. And so what, what we had to do with, with uh, two of these companies is essentially go in and establish a clinical and an economic value proposition. That not, not was a break even. It actually had to show clinical and like economic superiority over what the standard of care was. And so that became in a fee-for-service model. Um, got very uh, comfortable and interested in, in showing, you know, kind of um, superiority and kind of, you know, the economics in the clinical setting. So once the devices were uh, sold into the systems, we would then go in with the surgical teams and train their entire surgical staff, train surgeons on how to implant uh, spinal procedures predominantly uh, to correct low back pain. All right. Mm-hmm. So with that, saw um, extreme benefit with the technologies that we worked with. But I also noticed like throughout that time and, and towards the end, and so you got to think about, I started in, in that world before the Affordable Care Act and then finished on the other side of it. I saw a lot of frustration um, around um, from patients and providers around kind of some of the dis- dysfunction of you know meaningful use and EMR coming into play. And, and so physicians were having to do more procedures, see more patients, and, and make less money. And, and so for some physicians, that's obviously a big, a big deal. Um, they want a quality of life and they want to help their patients, but they also don't want to work for free. And so, um, and hospitals, you know, battled that as well. So I saw all these uh, conflicting things happening in healthcare. And meanwhile, I also saw that like Phil's example of pharmacy, the device world also um, does a famous job of markup, right? And so where all this kind of culminated for me was I really got a good understanding of how insurance works and how a large part of the overspend of the $4 trillion that we all know that's going on in the States is because of the way the insurance industry has evolved. And for everything, you know, obviously what, what Phil's doing in pharmacy, but like routine services and even cer- certain D- uh, uh, DME and, and devices shouldn't cost what they cost, right, to, to the patient. Uh, and insurance kind of conflates all of that because none of us really know what stuff should cost, right? Because we usually get insurance through our employer or through some other third party. And, and so you had all these layers of complexity and the patient got further and further away from really knowing anything about the cost of their care. We don't do that anywhere else in our society, but we do it in healthcare. Probably arguably the most important thing that any of us you know, buy or purchase, right? So... Fast forward to mid-2016, I got in touch and got plugged into blockchain, and what really excited me about that was the potential to empower um, population, patient populations with knowledge of transparency, um, but also looking at ways to disintermediate dysfunctional parts of the healthcare system. And so I got hooked on that and, and just did a deep dive, and, and so we launched Solister about a year ago. And so... Um, yeah, it's just really exciting kind of, you know, what's evolved and what's happened. And, and that's pretty much the story. So, Right. And my understanding for Solister, just to think about how its network is built, it's using GoChain, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this Go70 right. token. Do you yeah. want to just briefly explain that yeah. a little bit? So when we, so my co-founder, uh, my co-founders and I and, and a team of advisors, when we contemplated doing something in blockchain, um, we looked around and we saw all these different projects being built. Right. And most of them were kind of waving their hand. We're building on Ethereum, like 75 to 80 percent of them. And so we did the research and and found over 200 permissionless 
open blockchain projects. Like none of them were talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And so um, we knew that was going to be a problem. It's like, well, we can't recreate the data silos and the lack of transparency that's in the current system Like as we build this new economy, right? Or this new structure of decentralization. So we uh, looked around to see if anybody was doing kind of like standard to plug into. And we couldn't find anybody except someone in our backyard, which was Vanderbilt University and their, their software integrated uh, department, uh, solution department. And so... What's the name of that? So it's the Institute for Software Integrated Services at Vanderbilt University, and they had, they had done uh, they had done a write up, and so we immediately contacted them. It's like we're thinking about this the same way. No one's really, uh, to our knowledge, no one else is really thinking about it. And let's let's try to create a standard. So that's the working name of the standard is Go Seventy. We're building on GoChain, and we looked at a lot of the different platforms to see really. Um, you know, look at some of the, the pros and cons of the different platforms as they stood now, but what they were also working towards. And so here, here's a group of guys that forked the Ethereum Go client, and they have a mainnet that's live that does 1,300 transactions per second. Ethereum's at 13. And so that's not, that's not at scale what it needs to be, but we feel really confident about, number one, that, but also the compatibility of their platform, 100% Ethereum compatible. And so they're trying to create at scale, uh, an interoperable solution that potentially, you know, when we get to that point, potentially can go cross-chain. We don't have those capabilities today, but I think that's ultimately where we all want to go. So, um, so we're building it, and the working name is Go70 that we're working on it with Vanderbilt. So, yeah. Ernest, so how did you both meet, actually? Like, what, how, what got you guys started? Kevin Clawson uh, actually introduced us. Yeah. It was a connection through him. He's a mutual friend and uh, advisor. And uh, made the connection just about two months ago. It was mm-hmm. the last conference here in Nashville. This is when we connected. Right. Yeah. Kevin's the reason actually why I'm meeting with you today. So yeah. <laughs> I'd like to all show yeah, a shout out to Kevin. Yeah. And I met Kevin. I went back and uh, completed an informatics degree. And, and Kevin actually was uh, one of the faculty members, is one of the faculty members at, at Lipscomb University, which is an institution here in Nashville. And they have a healthcare informatics program, fantastic program. And I went back. Uh, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a coder, but I, I knew I wanted to get more facile with that part of healthcare, and so that's how Kevin and I met. Yeah, yeah. for me, um, <clears throat> I had you know we were we've been working for three years to to be able to do the reclamation. I only learned about blockchain in February of this year. I read what was essentially blockchain for dummies, mm-hmm. and I just got a fundamental understanding of it, and it clicked for me right away that these high value meds it would be a really good use case for that. At least I thought so. But I've been wrong before, and so <laughs> I, uh, I, I really um, just started kind of looking around. I, I talked to a couple of people about it, and a good friend said, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to do it, you need to put together a good team, mm-hmm. and if you put together a team, you should probably start with the university, mm-hmm. and not long after he said that, it was really a coincidence, I, I ran across Kevin Clausen on LinkedIn, who was both blockchain and pharmacy, the first time I'd ever seen that, and so I just sent him a blind email, and I said, hey, um, I'd, I'd send him a message first, said, can I send you an email? I have an idea and I'd really just um, you don't even have to get on the phone with me you just take a look at it and see if it's worth looking at and right away man he made connections and has made everything happen for us in a really short amount of time yeah I've also experienced that the blockchain world is very very collaborative and I think that's you know intrinsic to the technology like it, yes. it, everyone benefits the more that you collaborate which is really really fantastic network effects exactly <laughs> um, so I want to ask you guys about the basic terms of your partnership like what are what does the contract or form look like what are you agreeing on what kind of milestones do you have together yeah. well, we're, we're, and correct me if I'm wrong um, we're 
looking at, ultimately we're looking at three projects and Remedy Chain is the first of three that we'll launch. And knowing that, um, I've kind of been selling my team on the idea that there's a lot of people out here with an app or a single application or a DAP. Um, we're really trying to sell an ecosystem. There's three pieces to this puzzle that need to work together in order to transfer the community pharmacy to a blockchain system. And so um, Solastro was really, number one, I hit it off with Stuart. It's the kind of person you meet, you know, you can trust right away. But uh, their Go70 protocol is really what sold me. So, the, you know, I'm, I'm not highly technical at all. And my dumbed down version is that we're going to be on blockchain and Go70 is going to be our HIPAA. It's going to allow us to, to share data within these three separate businesses that we're about to launch um, and then be on GoChains, you know, obviously as well. Yeah, so the, the full maturation of what Solister is, is that the data standard language, standard data language is the kind of the core piece of it. Um, but at scale, it is an ecosystem, right? I mean, this thought process of an element of decentralization of different application or solution points um, that can all share uh, structured data um, where appropriate. Um, not all the solutions are going to be, uh, or necessarily need to be blockchain. Um, I, I suspect most of them will, and, and certainly not all of them need to be tokenized, right? So it's this new ecos ecosystem where we're not beholden to kind of the incumbent legacy structure of healthcare, like open to anything, you know, like a community pharmacy. What a novel idea. Oh, by the way, they used to do that years ago, right? And so like history repeats itself. And, and it's like, can we, can we create an ecosystem of interoperability where people can come in and share data, again, where appropriate, um, and where we can support projects that we believe in. So like there's this element of centralization to start to kind of seed the system, but at some point it's like, okay, there'll be elements that will be you know, decentralized and, and it's kind of the full realization of what this technology will be, right? And so that's the purpose of conferences like this where we're at in distributed health is, okay, what what is possible, right? And and how will healthcare really evolve for the better? It's not just like blockchain everything. It's like, no, certain only certain points of some of these solutions will have blockchain implementation, right? It's not all or nothing. So what do you think would be a first use case that would be on the blockchain for what? this? For our project, it'd, yeah. it'd be Remedy Chain. Yeah. Okay. So the very first thing that has to happen is we have to reestablish chain of custody for these prescription medications, and we're doing that through blockchain. I see. So, yeah. for example, let's take someone in Kentucky has some chemo meds that they're not going to be using anymore, right? Let's yep. say, I don't know, two-month supply or something, mm -hmm. and it's probably refrigerated, I imagine? No, not not the ones that we're doing, generally. Okay. Yeah. So that's it's usually tablets and capsules, which makes it easier. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's refrigerated. How do you verify that it's maintained? Yeah, no, no. We're starting with uh, when I went to the, the the state of Tennessee. I said, just give me tablets and capsules. Let me start there. I'll come back in two years and we'll expand it. Um, and they're fully on board with that. And so, um, and as long as the, it's in its original container, yeah, it has to be in its original container, or it can have been repackaged into blister packaging. So a lot of times hospitals will pour them out of the bottle and put them into blister packaging, which is where you pop one pill out at a time. If a licensed facility repackaged into the blister packaging, then we can reuse it. Yep. But the, the, the chemo meds were such a beautiful use case because we, you know, we're a small nonprofit charity pharmacy in Memphis, Tennessee. I got six full-time employees, including myself. And we knew this was going to be big, but we, we didn't have money to hire up staff or build a reclamation program. So we had to control pretty much how much was coming in. So by starting with the top 20 to 50 most valuable meds, we really can narrow that list down in order to build out a program that we can then scale nationally, which is the goal. Interesting. Yeah. 
So you're originally talking about how it was illegal to actually accept donated mm-hmm. medicine. So what were you doing to um, help change that? Oh, we had to. Um, I had we had to get the law changed and, and what that required. And I, I never had government in school, so I didn't know like what it takes to get a bill passed yeah. or anything like that. I reached out to. Um, the, the chair of the House Health Committee here in Tennessee, uh, Representative Cameron Sexton, whose wife, it just so happens, is a pharmacist. Um, and I reached out through her to see if he would be willing to talk with me about it, and he was. And he recruited uh, Senator Brian Kelsey, and so uh, Representative Sexton took it through the House. Uh, Kelsey took it through the Senate, and it was unopposed. And it was really, the the longest part was just waiting to get it on the docket, so to speak. So, you know, they have, they take so many bills up every year and someone has to own it and they're always planning for the next year so we got it through it was passed may of 2017 so that changed the law when did you start when was the first conversation with the- uh, probably a year before then if not so about more. A year. yeah because we had to wait until the whole next season to get it on the docket i remember that um once we got the, the law changed, though, we're, we're still far from done. Then we had to, the Board of Pharmacy determine the rules. And what that looks like is the Board of Pharmacy says you can do tablets and capsules. You can't do injectable stuff. You can't do refrigerated stuff. All the specifics on how the programs, what we have to report back to them, um, all of that. And so on January 1st, the law went in to effect, which meant I could then go to the Board of Pharmacy and start working on the rules. And we finally got the rules completed. They were signed by the Attorney General, I believe, the middle of August of this year. So, um, And then after that, we had to wait on the, the Department of Health to create the forms for the program. So it's just been what you'd expect in terms of bureaucracy, you know, you right. know change. But we are 100% up and running now. We've been um, accepting. So um, our MVP, if you will, is on our website, remedychain.com. It's remedy with an I. And on that website, anybody can make a donation or they can register uh, f- to get on a waiting list for a needed medicine. So we're trying to prove supply and demand. And uh, in our first two weeks, or well, in our very first day, we got a $40,000 drug donation. Within the first week, we hit $100,000. And amazing. I haven't been home yet <laughs> to see what that second week is. Uh, it'll be two weeks Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, and, and just people all over the country are excited about it. It's really getting, getting a lot of Do you have the so, infrastructure to support all those donations? We, we do. And... and Again, because we were smart, we didn't. We want to do everything, but we didn't start with everything. We started mm-hmm. with you know very specific, and also uh, enabled us to you know really minimize our marketing spend. We're working with oncology clinics to to reach these patients and asking them to promote our service to their patients who are all active on chemotherapy. It just makes perfect sense instead of every primary care office in town saying, "Hey, we want your recycled meds." Um, again. First, this is just the first use case. We're going to prove it, we're going to build it out, and then we're going to expand it. Yeah, I think it's an amazing use case. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, what is the experience for the donator? Do they go on, as you said, they yeah. go online and they just have a box? Well, that- that's, where, that's where blockchain doesn't get, get me excited. So <laughs> what, it, what it is right now is it's just a form that meets all the legal requirements for them to make the donation. But what we really want to get to with blockchain is, you know, with all the different leveling uh, layers of um, security that the donor could share with the recipient and or the recipient could share with the donor. What we want it to look like is an app where the donor 
makes the donation on the app and it tells them this is a $30,000 medicine. And then it tells them, okay, it's in stock. It hasn't been dispensed yet. And then it may say, well, it expired and it had to be destroyed. It didn't go anybody. Or it may say it went to Mrs. Jones in Memphis, Tennessee, and it cured her cancer. And if you want to, you can connect with her here on Facebook. Um, we want people to make the donations. You know, a lot of times these meds are being donated because 40% of all cancer patients die while on chemo. And so um, we want people to be, it's usually the families, want them to make the donation in honor of someone. We want the recipient to know who that someone was on the other end, just like a transplant program. Um, I really keep coming back around to that. So if you've got cancer and this is the chemotherapy you need, if you don't get it, you're going to die. The same way is if you need a heart transplant, if you don't get it, these are life-saving meds. And so we want to um, use blockchain to, again, varying levels, connect those people and let them see that. Um, additionally, the app will show the inventory to all the uh, oncology prescribers in the area and um, will be visible to the pharmacy or pharmacies on the network so that we can, you know, obviously match up patients with meds. It's very interesting. Are there any um, blockers for what you're doing? I mean, I think it sounds great. To me, it makes a lot of sense. Patients obviously love this. Do pharmaceutical companies, our insurance companies, are they disappointed about this because now there's less people buying potentially? You know, potentially, um, everybody's warning me, you know, you're going to get a lot of pushback. I've been hearing that for three years now. Our pharmacy... We sell drugs at cost, and every day we take people from $600 down to $60. we have got 1,000 subscribers now, and our biggest problem has been it's too good to be true. People are like, that's too good to be. What's the catch? That doesn't make sense. How can you do that? Where are you getting your meds from? And we're just being transparent about what they cost. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll run into problems, but I hope, I'm really hopeful that um, the insurance companies have already paid for the meds. I don't see where they would get upset with it. The manufacturers should be interested in knowing how much of their $45,000 medicine is getting flushed down the toilet every year. This would be a means to track that back to them. There's all kinds of programs where um, where manufacturers purchase back medicine that goes unused. And I'm hopeful that we might be able to do something like that. I'm hopeful that we might be able to take these meds. You know, these manufacturers do run assistance programs for low-income people. They're remanufacturing these meds to give away for free. Well, we can take what's out there and we can do that for them cheaper and they wouldn't have to remanufacture anything. I'm hopeful we'll recruit partners and not opponents. Uh, to date, though, I will say we haven't really run into any, We've gotten pretty far without any opposition. We've been under the radar quite a bit, though. It's, it's all coming out now. See, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. So, Stuart, how does Solister, how does it, the, you know, the blockchain actually facilitate some of these transactions? What, what points are? Yeah. So, um, what Phil and I have talked about, I mean, certainly we're like-minded in, in bringing transparency models um, to the masses, really. And so... Um, within that, I think there are opportunities for incentives. And the other piece around healthcare, like I'm a big proponent of transparency around cost moving forward, right? Fundamentally, I'm also a big proponent around like the goal of healthcare is to use it less, not more, mm-hmm. right? Um, that behavior modification and incentive models around that. I mean, I think there's huge opportunities within our model, even between um, solution points to create uh, and you know correct incentive models for people. Like for example, I mean. We all make decisions every day that influence not only our health, but those around us, right? And over time, those compound either into, you know, metaphorically speaking, pennies or a fortune, right? So um, 
there are opportunities to create incentive structures even around his patient population in terms of like you know compliance and um, you know on the back end right are you taking your meds like we still don't have solutions yet I mean some of that technology is being developed but like for actually taking your meds right uh, is, is one example um, and in terms of track and trace and provenance like the whole thing is like did you actually consume this or you know what what are you consuming for your diet as a, as a form to like to actually be healthier and then you know resetting the incentive models to, to you know reward that kind of behavior so um, I think at scale that's what it looks like what we're really doing there with our partners like like what Phil's doing with Good Shepherd and Remedy Chain is providing support uh, potentially development support uh, for for those who need that potentially um, marketing go to marketing support as well and and maybe even funding right for for certain projects and so from that standpoint we want to see those kind of projects as we're kind of creating an interoperability uh, opportunity um, and and build that out right so I mean I can see I mean I, I tell our guys all the time like within a year if we don't have you know five projects on Solister um, you know kind of like helping those projects lift off and, and do some really neat things and you know I think we're a little bit behind so you know Good Shepherd's the first one uh, we've got others that we're looking at as well so we're really excited about that you know I think it's the right way to think about healthcare moving forward so when you're thinking about new projects to take on, are they also in the pharmacy space, or is it you're trying to be as broad as possible yeah. so that your network is built in? Right. I mean, I, I think it makes sense to try to see different verticals within healthcare and say, okay, hey, look, this is an ecosystem that, you know, these people are actually talking to each other, and, you know, they're looking ways to collaborate to keep costs low and actually, you know, drive metrics that, you know, that actually make sense, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the goal, is to kind of be, you know, diverse to start. Yep. What does your typical day look like? Like, what are you gonna do on Wednesday after this conference is over? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I gotta go um, back home and fill prescriptions for poor people. Like, I still got a pharmacy to run. Um, but I do. That's my job is really chat. To be to be honest, I spend less and less time in the pharmacy anymore. I've been doing a lot of conferences lately and talking to a lot of um, folks about building this block, blockchain solution. But when we get back, actually. Probably early next week we start building. Like we're we're getting on it pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know joked. I mean it's been a pretty pretty busy three weeks. It feels like three months. You know, mm-hmm. um, just going around and just talking. And um, you know we're we're actively working on some other things around you know like fundraising and so forth. So it's yeah it's just been nonstop and it'll continue to be that way. So it's it's good. But uh, yeah. How are you feeling about the current like crypto market in general? I mean, yeah, you know, just because I think a lot of people that are looking to get into the space are like holding back. Oh wait, maybe it's not a good time or uh, something like that. Yeah, the cryptocurrency market. Yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta plead the fifth there. I don't follow it. <laughs> I think I'm a big. I'm a fan of blockchain technology, and I think it's gonna. I honestly believe it's gonna change everything. And cryptocurrency is just you know a second generation off that. Um, but I, I haven't followed, yeah, the actual, I, you know, I've heard Ethereum dropped a couple of weeks ago and, and things. Yeah. Yeah. I've had my head in the sand working on this. Yeah. So what's interesting, um, shortly after I learned about blockchain for health, this was, on, this is my honest entry to the space. I then learned about cryptocurrency. I mean, everybody had heard mm-hmm. about Bitcoin, but I really had a, like, I came into this space, you know, through healthcare. And so shortly thereafter, the distribute the first distributed health conference occurred here in Nashville. This was in 16, late 16. Um, and um, what was interesting at that conference and even the one last year was that there, the speculation fervor was at a pretty high 
you know, level. And so I think you had a lot of people here that were either investors or were trying to do some type of token sale like exclusively. And so they were figuring out what's the angle in healthcare. And so what's interesting is I think the people here at Distributed this year are really intent this is what I'm picking up every one day, uh, are really intent on like making this work, right? So I, I, there's, a, there's a level of interest here that I think is, there's some permanence here, I think, with the people that are attending. So I think that's really positive. Um, I, I'm optimistic about tokenized models, and I don't think it's a, a universal thing. I think maybe two years ago, three, ago, three years ago, everyone was thinking about tokenizing everything, mm-hmm. even in healthcare. And so I think all that's kind of being kind of, teased out a little bit. Um, but I'm very, very bullish long-term on, on crypto assets and tokenized models to like change behavior and, you know, for the better and new economies. So, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're really, we're really on the same page with the, the, the well, well, I said, I don't know much about cryptocurrencies. Tokenizing is, is different in mm-hmm. my mind than that. And yeah. we're, what's unique about Good Shepherd and the fact that we don't do insurance, our members pay a monthly membership fee. We're actually doing a study right now, studying this to, to show that it works. We can get them to track their adherence through our app, check their doses in every day and say, okay, well, if you play our game, download, because we're gamifying it, you know, um, download our app, check in your meds every day and get to, you know, whatever 80% adherence, then you can lower your membership fee from $40 a month down to 20, down to 10. Just kind of, I, I think we're a perfect use case to transition from the old way to the new way because we're not on insurance, we're not billing, and our members are already used to paying every month. So um, we're, we're, we've already started that process. We're doing a study with Lipscomb on adherence and, and the, the best ways to incentivize adherence and then actually calculating an ROI to an improved adherence mm-hmm. um, so that we can set the stage to eventually have all 1,000 of our pharmacy members on the Solister platform on you know a tokenized pharmacy platform. Yeah. So is the app, is that remedied? chain or is that so like, no that the, would be so that we're, we're the, the three projects one's uh, you know remedy chain another one is basically uber eats for pharmacy deliveries um, mm-hmm. using um, shared ride drivers to pick up donations and deliver um, which we can do cheaper than we can do post office um, and then the third one is basically a, a patient platform which would be where the farm where the, the the patients of the pharmacy live and that's their individual health wallets I've heard it called that mm-hmm. um, where, where that data is being saved and is also being shared. Yeah. So what stage are those apps right now? Right now, um, Remedy Chain is, like I said, the first one. We start building that next week. Uh, the the name of the Uber Eats one is called Script Ride. And um, with that one... It's a good we, name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. We, uh, we, with, uh, we're, I'm very confident we're going to win a grant. Um, and I'll know in a couple of weeks it's a $20,000 grant will be enough to really get it launched and get it started. And uh, we have a pilot uh, pilot study uh, on the ScriptRide project to start at the first of the year as well. Um, but yeah, those two things are moving forward. Um, in terms of the, the health wallet, I'm still kind of looking at different platforms. A lot of people are doing that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys that presented here had kind of something similar. Um, so I'm looking for who's doing what, what really works, and uh, I'll tell you in the who's doing what, when you, when you, it's one thing to watch a presentation, it's another to talk to somebody, what have you actually built? <laughs> right. Very, yeah. very different. Yeah. So I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to bring on partners where I can, but I will uh, build what I need to. You hear that, folks? Looking for partners. For <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, this has been really interesting. Any kind of last takeaways for the audience? Anything you want to share? And, you know, how do they get, how can they get in touch with you? Or mm -hmm. what are you guys looking for? Well, for me, um, remedychain.com is the best way to get with us. And if you're at all interested, the best thing you could do is if, if you have medicine that you can donate or know somebody who does, um, send it to us. If we, uh, you know, we started two weeks ago and $100,000 worth of meds in the first week is wonderful. If we don't show big numbers right out of the gate, then this thing will die on the vine. We'll lose momentum. And I know there's a ton of stuff out there. Um, so we really want to bring in. We're not going to start dispensing until January 1st because we need to kind of fill our coffers and, and get a lot of meds in and be ready to do that. So sharing the word about our program would be really good. And then if you're an oncology clinic, it turns out like oncology clinics, a lot of people take their stuff back to the clinic. And in a lot of states, it's not exactly legal for them to dig it back, but they're always trying to help people and so it's a pain point if you're oncology clinic then we'd really like to partner with you great yeah I, I would just like to say um, you can find us at solister.io that's our website and we're actually relaunching that so there'll be a new new version of that hopefully with you in the next few days um, but people ask me all the time who like who's your customer right now like what do you so the developing community like projects that's our customer like so we're looking for really innovative like high impact DAP projects that need a place, need a home, right? They need, they need tech support, like I said, or, or, or maybe funding or marketing, um, but see the value of like an interoperability solution within all of that. And they want to be a part of that. And, and so we're not beholden to anybody. Um, we're trying to think a little uh, more independent and, but be inclusive of everyone, if that makes sense. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be my message to your listeners. And um, you know, my, uh, email address is on the website so you can find me there so yeah. great and I'll put some of the these links into the show notes as yeah. well for yeah. so you can just check it out okay cool thank you guys so much Philip and Stuart appreciate it thanks so much thank you thanks for having us mm -hmm. thanks hey y'all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher soundcloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me slash health unchained if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends your bosses your teams your students to listen and subscribe thank you